KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Kids in the U.S. have had a couple of rough years when it comes to schooling as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The last quarter or so of one academic year was turned completely upside down as everyone scrambled to learn online on the fly. The next year was better, but you still had kids in and out of the classroom as the virus surged and waned. It was inconsistent at best. And there's been a lot of concern for how much learning kids lost, how much their learning was interrupted, and the impact that has going forward. Well, the not-for-profit organization that supports students and educators across the country, NWEA, has done research into how far kids fell behind and whether we are seeing them bounce back. We wanted to dig into this really interesting research, what it says and what it means. So we caught up with Dr. Karen Lewis. She is director of the Center for School and Student Progress at NWEA. Set the table for me with this research looking at how kids are rebounding learning-wise what were you looking for? What did you dig into kind of before we kind of go into what it means, kind of, you know, how was the research conducted? Sure. So we have had an ongoing research agenda at NWA over the course of the pandemic and had regular status updates on what's happening at the national level. In this most recent brief, we look at a sample of over 13 million students from all 50 states and over 25,000 public schools to try and understand at the end of this most recent school year, how are kids faring? And are we starting to see any signs of improvements in terms of the deep impacts we know COVID has had over the last two years on education outcomes? It looks to me in in going over the materials, uh, there are some signs to be encouraged by, but also a lot of work to do. Uh, Let's start with the encouraging signs. We're seeing bounce back with, with kids. Yeah, so it's very much a good news, bad news story. And I like starting with the good news because we call it could all use a win in this moment. And what we look at is the extent to which kids are making gains this year. So the improvements that we see in their achievement levels. And when we left off in our last research brief at the beginning of the school year, we were starting to see signs that maybe we had bottomed out. That achievement was at least no longer worsening in terms of the distance between current achievement levels and pre-pandemic trends. So our real hope was that over the course of the school year, we might just start to see signs of improvement. And that is the good news here, that we see that achievement gains over the course of the 21-22 school year have returned to be closer to average levels. And that's good news because last year in 2020-21, we saw kids were making some gains, but it was at a pretty sluggish pace relative to pre-pandemic trends. So we're seeing kids making gains more consistent with what we'd expect absent a pandemic. I am sure that it is not a universal situation. Is there anything in the in the data like, you know, are there certain groups that are achieving past what the, the mean is? Are there certain groups that are lagging behind? Kind of dig into, you know, kind of the minutia of it for us. Yeah, that was one of my big concerns when we started hitting run on the code this spring to look at how achievement outcomes are fair. That might be that we would only see signs of improvement for more advantaged kids. And I'm really happy to say that that's not what we see. We actually see signs of rebounding, as I've called it. So rebounding, meaning those achievement gains returning to pre-pandemic levels. We see that both, for instance, in high poverty schools and low poverty schools. So it's not as just the advantaged kids are showing signs of bounce back this year. But the big but, the caveat here is that we know particular groups of students have been harder hit and so have more ground to regain when it comes to making up the gaps we see between current and pre-pandemic achievement levels. And those kids are students that are served in high poverty schools, 
students of color, particularly Black, Hispanic, and Indigenous students, we've consistently seen that the pandemic has had the biggest impact on those student groups. So it's encouraging that we see signs of rebound in these groups, but there's a further distance to go in terms of getting them to a place of full recovery. And also important to keep in mind that those students were not well served by our education system prior to the onset of the pandemic. We already had pretty big equity gaps in 2019 before we even said the word COVID-19. Those equity gaps have increased over the last two years. So it's encouraging to see signs of rebounding, but we have a long way to go just in getting those kids caught back up to where they would have been absent of pandemic, but even further to go if we want to have any traction at really getting to minimizing those pre-existing inequities. How, and I say realistic, just kind of given the landscape of our schooling situation, how realistic is it that most of these kids will be able to make up and get to where they were supposed to be? you know, even if we eliminated the pandemic, is that feasible? That was a really important question to us to address because we know that we're seeing some signs of improvement this year, but we also know that there's a ways to go. So we estimate the timeline we might expect to get kids back to this place of full recovery if we see the same pace of improvements that we see this year. And that's where we lean back into this. It's a good news and a bad news story. So it's good news kids are making improvements, but the bad news is it's not happening at the kind of rate we would want to get kids back where they would have been on a really fast time scale. And our best estimates are for the typical elementary student, we're looking at a minimum of three years to full recovery. For middle schoolers, it's much longer. We see at least five plus years. We see more stagnation amongst those grades. We don't see the same evidence of improvements for older students. So that's what's really keeping me up at night these days is what's going on for those older students and how can we get them to start showing signs of improvement as well. Is there anything, and you talk about it, it keeps you up at night, like, is there any hypothesis why the the difference, is it the, the subject matter you're learning at those higher levels? Is it just as a youngster, you're much more likely to go with the flow and absorb whatever is around you? Is there any hypothesis as to why the difference? I'm guessing it's got a lot of factors at play here. Um, one thing that it brings to mind is that we've been we've had really consistent evidence over the last two years that the youngest students have been the hardest hit. So it could be that that message has gotten out to schools and teachers and they've taken a triage approach. Let's help the kids that have been the hardest hit first. And so maybe that's showing up and seeing these signs of improvement for elementary students. It's probably a both and situation that there's other factors at play that make it harder to get middle school students back on track. It could be harder for middle, middle school students to re-engage in the school community after having such uh, a lengthy time being in the remote setting. We really don't know at a national level or have data to speak to the mechanisms. The idea that we're making up gains, I think, is really kind of incredible when you consider what we went through, you know, for the last, you know, I don't know, quarter of one year was basically, I know a lot of places just kind of punted. Like you would get teachers just handing out a, an assignment on the day for Zoom and, you know, maybe reading a story. Another year that was kind of all over the place. Everybody tried their best, but it it got in the way. Who do you give most of the credit for the fact that we were able were able to see some bounce back? Is it the idea that kids are resilient, you know, kind of overall? Is it you mentioned teachers triaging and plugging holes? You know, where you know, does everybody get a little bit, you know, get their get their flowers here? Where would you kind of put this? 
Yeah, I think we can both distribute credit and blame to multiple sources, but I, I want to lean into that the 21-22 school year was certainly not the roaring comeback we were all hoping for. It was still an incredibly challenging year for schools and families with staff shortages and new variants of the pandemic that meant we had to close schools in some cases, just reacclimating kids to the classroom climate. It was still an incredibly challenging year. So in our conversations with partners, we hear about the myriad challenges they faced and unfinished learning was one of those, but it was one amongst a huge uh, kind of plethora of challenges to face. So that we see any improvements at all this last year, I think is a win. And I think it's testament to how hard teachers and schools have been working to get kids back into the classroom environment and start to gain some traction into um, mitigating the impacts of the pandemic. I think it's also testament to the fact that kids are sponges and they were hungry for these learning opportunities and are excited for the most part to be back in the classroom and being able to start learning again at a more normal kind of situation. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Karen Lewis right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Karen Lewis. So let's dig into more of the the bad news here where there is work to do. You know, when you look at this research, what kind of really stands out to you in a bad or alarming way? What's kind of at the top of the list of like red flags here? The big red flags for me are um, we can expect it's going to be a longer road to recovery in math relative to reading because we've seen consistently that math has been harder hit as a subject compared to reading. And it tends to be the case in pre-COVID research as well that math instruction matters more in the classroom environment. Kids do more development in their reading skills outside the classroom environment. So it's not surprising that math has been harder hit. And so we can expect to see kids recover in terms of their reading skills faster than their math skills. So that's one thing that concerns me. But digging into which groups we can expect to see uh, recovery from sooner, I wanna again highlight that um, we see signs of rebounding for kids in high poverty schools. However, there is more ground to regain there. And I don't want to lose sight of the needing to support kids proportional to their need. One thing that really worries me is that we know schools and districts are facing this spending deadline for using those federal recovery dollars. And that is at the end of the 23-24 school year. And these estimates we put out about when we could expect to see full recovery extend far past that deadline in many cases. So I'm, I'm forward thinking about how we can support schools and districts to be planning for um, extending these kinds of recovery and support interventions past the expiration of those dollars and how we can match the supports we're providing with the actual timeline for recovery. The other thing that really keeps me up at night are the student groups that have been hardest hit and making sure we're addressing those needs and not using a one-size-fits-all approach in this moment that would meet the needs of some but would continue to leave behind the students that were already below national averages prior to the pandemic and have only seen larger impacts. You mentioned the funds, the federal funds that expire. It seems to me it's great that this money is going to the schools and it's incredibly well needed, but are we doing in a way a disservice by putting these end dates on it? Because a lot of the problems it seems schools need is they need, you know, a reading specialist. They need they need to be able to hire somebody and not say, well, you'll be here this year, but past that, you know, we'll wait and see. You're not going to get the best people in a lot of cases taking that. Uh, and I know there's political, you know, that's a whole different podcast. But are we kind of doing a disservice with putting this these enormous sums of money, but putting these expiration dates on it so it doesn't? It may, it doesn't help as much as it probably should. Am I being unfair? 
I think there is a lot of stress to be a district leader in this moment. That's needed to figure out a way to spend a really large pot of money quickly and do so in a way that does have some longevity to it and be able to continue to support kids, as we've already talked about. I, I share your concern that if we are finding resources that um, require additional staff and support kinds of mechanisms, but then once 2024 hits, if those supports are ripped away because there's no more funding, but the kids aren't fully recovered yet, what does that mean? And it's my hope that uh, the states and districts and schools can be thinking together innovatively for how to have a more uh, longevity to those plans of how they can continue to support kids until the work is really done. Every district, every school is its own portrait. Like no two are the same as far as what kids need, where the level is. But if you had the power to kind of do a couple overarching things to accelerate this as much as possible, what are some things you would like to see done to accelerate the, the rebound of the learning? It's a really good question. I think we know what has happened over the last two years is that kids have lost out on instructional opportunities. So I, I shy away from using terms like learning loss because it's not as if, you know, math skills and reading skills have just trickled out of kids' brains. What they've lost is the opportunity to learn. So what we need to be focusing on is adding those opportunities back in and providing kids ways to make up those missed learning opportunities. But on balance, we also don't want to be driving, cracking the whip so hard that kids miss out on the joy of being a student. And if they have to miss out on things like you know, their specials and getting to engage in art and PE and having recess time, there really has to be a balance in making school a welcoming and engaging place so that kids are ready to take in that instruction and in a place where they can actually learn and accelerate. But the kinds of strategies we're hearing about to try and add these instructional opportunities back in are things like high dosage tutoring. So getting kids connected with a um, person that can really help them hone in on their specific strengths and challenges to really meet them where they're at and help get them where they need to be. We also hear about other opportunities leaning into the summer months to be able to provide additional lengthening the school year to add back in those opportunities. Um, and things like double dosing math so that kids are getting extra pullouts to get extra math skills. Uh, I just think we need to be on balance, make sure that we're not kind of taking the joy out of the school experience by focusing only on getting kids um, to make up these academic skills, because we know that there were other impacts of the pandemic. We know that kids' social and emotional wellness really took a hit here as well. And so we want to make sure that we're not so focused on getting them caught up academically that we miss out on the bigger picture of getting kids reconnected to their peers and their teachers and to the school community so that they can thrive. Because... There's no instruction in the world that's going to help a kid that's really struggling with their social and emotional well-being. To that point, that was actually my next question. And I know this is separate from most of our discussion, but, the, you know, and obviously there has to be a lot of focus on the the study and what their kids and the learning. But from the social, do we have our arms around what a year and a half, two years of online in school, in school, but wearing a mask, not able to have recess? sitting apart from everybody at lunch, like I'm not, you have to do what you have to do to keep everybody safe. But do we have a good feel for the damage that that's done? And is that easier or harder to make up? I think that's the million dollar question. And no one has good data to be able to address that right now. It's a really challenging thing to measure of how our kids faring in terms of their social and emotional well-being in this moment. And I, and I wonder if that might be a play for why we see better signs of improvement for younger versus older students, that maybe older students did take a harder hit and being denied those social connections was particularly challenging when you're in that phase of life, when your real focus is on connecting to peers and establishing those relationships. 
Um, our data can't speak to that. I hope there are other research out there that are trying to answer this question because I think it's a critical one that the pandemic has not just impacted kids' academic outcomes, and we know it has been a traumatic experience for us all. And as professionals, we, are, we can all attest to how hard it's been to do our best work over the last two years, and we shouldn't expect that to be untrue of kids as well. And there is a certain amount of recovering from this collective trauma that we need to allow time and space for, for even our youngest kiddos. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on Odyssey or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can hear another episode tomorrow night at 930 on KYW News Radio. Listen on 103.9 FM, the Odyssey app, or ask your smart speaker to play KYW News Radio.